Fear's a bad boyfriend. It has no place in anyone's life or career. I'm here with Tracy Chadwell, founding partner of 1843 Capital. We're going to talk about, one, her career overview, and then dive it into 1843 Capital, what the focus is, why she went from the different parts of her career that she did, and then kind of uh, finishing today's vlog with, you know, women in finance and just kind of unpackaging that whole topic. So, re do you want to rewind or do you want to finish the part about um, trademarking the name? Let's do that. Well. When I decided to launch the fund a couple of years ago, the first thing that uh, my attorney said is finding a name is going to be the most difficult thing that you're going to do. And I did not believe her at all. I thought, you know, clearly there's a lot of other issues that are going to be hurdles that are going to be much harder. But it really was true. It was really hard to find a name. And so I think when you're starting a business or starting a new firm, you have to be really thoughtful about that and try to find something that you can trademark mm -hmm. because you don't want to put a lot of brand equity into a name and then have someone turn around and send you a cease and desist letter. Um, not something that we're probably going to do. We're not going to stop people. Um, there is someone who has a very similar name to ours, uh, but uh, you do want to make sure that you have that done. It's it's relatively inexpensive and, and worthwhile. And 1843, by the way, is an interesting story. It's yeah, the year that on? Ada Lovelace wrote the first computer program. Ada Lovelace yes. wrote the first computer program. Yes. Ada Lovelace was Lord Byron's only legitimate daughter. So it has a wonderful historical story to it. Um, she she grew up uh, with her mother, and Lord Byron had left her, and you know he was uh, quite uh, quite the lover in England. And uh, the mother decided that she didn't want her daughter to grow up with sort of the same proclivities that Lord Byron had. So she only let her study the STEM programs. So she studied things in science and and technology of the time and math, and she found poetry in numbers. And so she decided that, uh, you know, I think there's something that we can do with what's called the analytical engine, which was considered to be one of the first computers. And she said, I think if we do these punch cards that Charles Jacquard was doing for tapestries at the yeah. time, that he was doing, you know, he had a lot of orders for the tapestries, he had to find out how to mass produce them, and he did it with punch cards. If we transfer that and use these to solve problems on the analytical engine, that became the first computer program. I always say, if Ada had been funded, who knows where we'd be, right? <laughs> that's, that's a, wait, who came up with that name? How did you come, how did you find that story? Finding, well, it was really interesting because it was so really bloody difficult to find a name for this firm. You know, everything that I found was already taken by someone else. And uh, we've gotten to this point where it's really hard to get a domain name, obviously. Yeah. So to find a name that wasn't taken and I could get the domain, um, we ended up with a number because numbers really hadn't been used. And I wanted to find something that you know was was personally meaningful and, and significant for the firm, but then also an added benefit, which I thought of afterwards, is that we end up at the top of every list. So we're at the top of every every woman in BC list. We're at the top. And every every conference. Yes, at the conferences we're always at the top of the list. For uh, you know um, a list of all the general VCs, we end up at pretty near the top of the list. There are a few firms with numbers, but that's cool. That's yeah, a cool story. Yeah, and it has meaning. Yeah. I dig it. <laughs> we had 5149 labs and we dropped the 49 because it was too much of a, it was a too mouthful. Too hard to say. Yeah, because the whole idea comes from just like the concept of just giving a little bit more than you get. Yeah. And so give, 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 and hopefully, 
know, in the long run, things work out. Oh, that's a great um, name. Let's rewind. Where, where are you from? What's the story? Uh, I, I'm from a small town in Illinois called Rockford, Illinois, and it's 90 miles northwest of Chicago. And uh, I grew up in a family of attorneys, and so I was uh, sort of given the guidance that early on that uh, going into legal work and to trust in the states was probably my destiny. And um, I went to law school and ended up passing the bar exam and deciding that I really, really didn't want to practice law. I started working for a merchant banking firm in Chicago that was called uh, SCM International. And I knocked on the door cold to get into this firm. And- uh, Wait, how did that work out? So like, I, did you, how did you know about the name? Did you just find the name, find the building, no, so, so Crane's Chicago Business had published uh, an article that the firm was starting up. It, it, uh, it was former um, Senator Adlai Stevenson, who was a two-term senator from Illinois, who was the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Mm -hmm. And it was also uh, a guy named Tak Matsunaga, who was uh, the head of a Japanese bank in Chicago, and then Dale Colling, who was an attorney. And they had come together to form this merchant bank. And I'd read about it, and I thought that this is really interesting and so I just called up the number because we made phone calls in that day <laughs> and I asked them if I could come in and meet and they said sure why don't you come in and I, I went and I sat down and I had had I had previously when I was in law school I'd worked in Japan and developed Japanese language ability and so they were doing cross-border work between the United States and Asia given that Atlas Stevenson was then the head of uh, the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Commission. So, uh, so I said, I'd love to work for you. You know, I have a great skill set. And they said, well, that's really nice, Tracy, but we're not hiring any lawyers. And I said, well, you, are you hiring for anything? And they said, yeah, we need a receptionist. And I said, well, I said, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, it truly, you know, it was a tough time. Not a lot of law firms were hiring. They'd cut their hiring practices down from, say, 100 new associates to 25. So it was really hard to get a job at that point. Plus, also, too, I really thought that international transactional work on the business side, because that's really where my affinity is, was, was what I wanted to do. So I was willing to do actually just about anything to get into the space that I wanted to be in. Um, they offered me $27,000 a year. What they didn't know is if they hadn't offered me that job, I was going to offer to work for free. <laughs> just to get my foot in the door and get some experience. <laughs> so for me, it was... How much student debt did you have from <laughs> law school at that point? Um, I had a little, not, not that much, okay. so, which was great. Um, but it was, uh, I, I was able to pull it off and um, I said... What did, uh, did you have that moment when you were thinking just, what the heck am I doing? I have a law degree. I should go off to some you know, bigger law firm and do that. Like, what am I doing as a receptionist? Or did you did you just not have that at all? Like, I don't care. Well, I, I mean, at first, of course, I had the 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 attitude. I don't care at first when I went in, and I want. I just wanted to learn. I wanted to absorb everything, and I highly recommend that to anyone who's, especially anyone who's struggling to enter into a new field. You, you're no one's going to pay you if you don't know. So you've got to jump in and, and do some things for free and just spend some time as much as you can afford. Maybe if it's two weeks or three weeks, but that way you just, you start to make relationships and you start to get experience. So once I was in the door of this firm, and besides, actually too, I should note that even though that's a cute story about starting as a receptionist, I did negotiate with them that I would be the receptionist, but only for six months. Then after that, that they would have to, I would move back into an office and I would start to work on deals, which did happen. And it was very funny because Adelaide, um, the day that I moved back, he looked at me. He goes, "Tracy, what are you doing back here?" <laughs> so, 
Wait, um, remember six months ago we had this? It's six months. Um, but you know, one of the very interesting things about being a receptionist and having that experience is it um, really developed empathy uh, on my part for all the different roles that people play in an organization. And I would go home at night and I would hear the phone ringing in my head because every time that I would go to grab a cup of coffee or do something that was off the desk or go to talk to someone, if the phone rang, I had to run back and make sure that I got that because it was the main line that was coming in and then distributed to all the partners. So um, I, I was living in fear all the time that I would miss a call and I would go home and I couldn't get to sleep sometimes because I would hear that ringing. And um, You know, I think this is interesting because yeah. with the work that we do with transitioning veterans, yep. um, you know, one of the questions we're always talking about is what direction do you go in? Sure. You have no clue where to go. Yeah. And it sounds like it's okay to do these free, these internships, these fellowships, just yeah. to get experience. Yeah. Another key takeaway I have from you is that you knew it was going in a certain direction of an industry and a function. Right. What advice do you have for people who don't know what industry, who don't know what function? Think about what they loved in high school. What you love in high school and what you're attracted to that and then another thing that was was sort of interesting to me and why I do uh, spend quite a bit of time helping women founders and women uh, because you you also have to if there's something that makes you emotional if there's something if you're watching something on TV or if you're thinking about something and you sort of get uh, you know if you, you tear up a little bit or, or you really feel it strongly that's that's the direction you that's should a go. Nudge to go yeah because then you will you will power through if you believe and you feel something and so it's uh, it's exciting for me at this point in my career to be able to do that to be sort of a bridge to capital for for people who have not had the opportunity to build so how, how did past. you go from that first job out of law school. How long were you there? What did you do next? Oh my gosh, it was a real tortured path. And you know, sometimes people say, "Oh, you're an overnight success." Yeah, an overnight success it takes twenty years. <laughs> you know, it's uh, and and I also too, I think that it's um, life is is not. Uh, I used to say so if it's a zigzag, you're going from one place to the other. But now I really feel like life is a spiral staircase that you're, you're kind of building on and circling back to things that are in your past. You know, I haven't used my Japanese language ability in a really long time, and I sort of would think to myself, oh, that's just part of my career. But interestingly enough now, we have a thesis within my firm around technology for the aging, and 25% of the population in Japan is over yeah. 65, and it's where a lot of the technology innovation is coming. And I have relationships now with assisted living facilities that are in Japan, and, and definitely Does, rekindling that aspect. Could you do that through an 1843 entity? Would you have to start a, like a whole, could that be like a? No, we, we invest through, so we make, um, we're gonna be making between 12 and 14 investments in this fund that we have. The what 18, fund are you on? 1843 Capital Ventures LP. It's our first one okay. that we've had. And so we focus on cybersecurity, but we also focus on the technology for the aging. So we'll make those investments through our investment vehicle. So cybersecurity, enterprise software, yep. and silver... Silver tech. Silver tech. Yes, technology awesome. for the aging. Awesome. Yep. When did you start the fund? And then just where are you at today? So the very first inkling of the fund, I actually have a, an interesting story that is, that is pretty unique for venture capital in that I took time off. So I was a stay-at-home mom. I was home for a while raising my two children in a, in a suburb of New York 
And uh, you know, it's really hard for women to get back into the workforce. And a very interesting statistic is that the largest growing of demographic of people in the workforce right now is women over 55. They're raising their children and they're starting to return. And there's a lot of really interesting new uh, technology companies that are helping women do that. Um, there's return ships at a lot of the investment banks that are trying to find ways to bring women back. But, but that's it's really, really hard to come back and people say, oh, you know, you, you haven't worked a little bit. But, um, you know, I was learning all kinds of different skill sets, like management. <laughs> well, I was, well, well, and micromanagement. Exactly. <laughs> all but, levels of management. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, um, so about, I would say about two years ago, I had been investing on my own account, um, gosh, I think it's probably close to eight years ago now when I started to do that, because that was something that I could do while the kids were home. I could still be investing. I could still all day long be researching companies. I could come into New York, I could meet with companies and make investments. And um, On an angel's side? Yes, here. yeah, on a smaller, smaller, on my own balance sheet, absolutely. And my portfolio turned out to be really terrific. I have great return on capital. So uh, I decided it was probably either time for me to go back to work or to, or to start my own firm. And through the process of talking to people, you know, venture capital is such a discreet, small industry. And a lot of times, partners are grown up within the firm. It's very hard to make a, a lateral move as a partner. And I left as a partner. I was a partner of Baker Capital. Okay, so you were talking about you know the chapter of your life when you you were stay-at-home mom, doing your own right. investments, having some really success, uh, successful angel investments. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that period and right. how that led led up to starting making forty-three? Well, I was. It seemed to be number one a real opportunity because there was this uh, really inefficient market in women founders because they were getting two percent of venture capital dollars. So if I was out there trying to compete with all the eight hundred venture capital firms that were out there, um, I would have a lot of trouble sourcing deal flow. But with women founders, it was the opposite. I was I was getting more deal flow than I could ever imagine. Was it from female founders who were already in the ecosystem, or did you find, as you were going through this, this large, dormant pool of female founders, like, oh my God, well, the, by the time, fun. Yeah, by the time I really jumped in, they weren't dormant anymore because there was, there was news that women weren't getting funding, and mm -hmm. capital is readily available to, to accelerate women uh, founders, you have a lot of accelerators that are focused in the space, you have a lot of mentorship programs, so there's a lot of corporate philanthropy dollars that go into this, but the missing piece was the actual equity into the companies. There weren't any dollars flowing in to the companies themselves, there's lots there to, to set up these organizations to mentor them, but then not to actually fund them. So I was able to get into a lot of really interesting female founded companies, um, even as a small check. And, uh, and was extremely successful. So then I started to say, well, does it make sense for me to go back and work for a firm? Um, that just didn't seem to be the right path for me because there weren't uh, too many lateral hires going in. Even though I, I had exited the business as a partner um, with Baker Capital, there weren't uh, opportunities to join a firm as a partner. Um, so I decided, you know what, I think the most interesting thing for me to do would be to start my own firm. And it's, uh, at the time, there were just a handful of women who were starting firms. This is just a couple of years ago. How many um, female-founded VC firms are there that are, would you say, C, you know, C3 right. multiple series? By our count, the ones that have a female founder, not, not um, 
not and I'm not including firms that may have two or three or four male partners and, and a fifth female, female partner. partner. I'm talking about founded, founded. like the, like started at is thirty out of eight hundred. What's causing that to happen? Uh, I Why think, only thirty out of eight hundred? Well. Now the fact that you're even seeing seeing any at all is a wonderful thing, and I think it's because first of all, some women have grown up through the ecosystem. So a handful of us were associates and principals, and then became partners. Uh, so that we do have the expertise and the experience to start our own firms Attraction. at this point. Um, before before that, we you know um, I I have a long long track record and experience in this business, and um, I think it's. A little bit tougher to do if you're just starting out if you only have two years at a firm or something like that um, so so we are seeing some of the women with experience now having the ability to raise their own firms I also think there's interest uh, uh, amongst the limited partners among the state pension funds and, and things that are now looking to back uh, women fund managers which is a great thing because we have a different mindset and we have different eyes and we're gonna fund different things Generally speaking, for a first-time fund, um, not necessarily uh, women-led. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, first-time fund focus on Series A. From people who might have you know ten plus years at brand name. Like, what does that size of fund type typically look like? So we we have heard that anything over two million is good. Uh, our fund size is twelve point two. And uh, um, there are a handful of people that have been able to raise a hundred million dollar fund, but um, anywhere in the in the middle, whatever whatever you can raise, because it's really hard to raise capital, and then go out and, and uh, construct a really interesting diversified portfolio. So going into your portfolio, how many companies are in there now? And just talk a little bit about you know what you invest in, why you invest in these you know particular founders, etc. So we, we are targeting between 12 and 14 investments. Right now we currently have six uh, companies in our portfolio. Um, because of, of my partner's background in cybersecurity, she was a successful founder in the cybersecurity space and, and sold her company to Deloitte. Um, she also had uh, M&A exits and an IPO under her belt as a senior manager. Um, we are focusing on cybersecurity. Uh, we also are focusing on something that I found a really interesting market opportunity in the aging space. So I call that silver, silver tech because I like to encompass the, the positive aspects yeah. of it and not call it elder tech, which I think <laughs> has just sort of a little bit more of a negative feel to it. Uh, and we focus on the health, wealth, and betterment of self for the aging population. Um, 10,000 people are turning 65 every day. So, so of those companies, we do have some um, B2B SaaS uh, companies, but we also do have some cyber and some uh, two investments in the transportation space because the first thing that we wanted to go after was the issue of transporting people who are elderly because they get to a point where they cannot drive themselves even though they're perfectly healthy uh, or maybe just don't want to drive themselves. And uh, of course, there's transportation needs within the campuses of assisted living facilities as well. Is there a particular company you want to talk about, just kind of like the, the market that they're tackling and just kind of something cool that they're doing? Uh, one of our interesting and very accessible companies, I think, for, for people to, to think about is a company called Hopskip Drive, which uh, we, we just invested in a few months ago. And this is a terrific company run by CEO Joanna McFarlane. Uh, she's done a terrific job of providing 
care drivers, and that's a specialized level driver. So that's not your Uber driver who could be kind of a sketchy, <laughs> a sketchy guy. And 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 most of them are guys, quite frankly. And uh, I know a lot of my girlfriends say that they feel uncomfortable taking an Uber, and they certainly wouldn't put their daughter in an Uber. Um, so to have this organization that is care drivers, ninety percent of, of uh, Joanna's drivers are women. So first of all, there's a sort of an added sense of security there. Not that not that women aren't criminals or can't do something awful, um, but to to increase the security layer, she does have them fingerprinted, and she has continuous background checks. Where's the company based? Out of? So they're they're based in Los Angeles, and uh, it's very interesting How because many she's, drivers she she oh my gosh, I can't even tell you right now because it's growing all the time. But I want to say that they did over two hundred fifty thousand rides last year, so. And what's the like? What does that type of ride look like? Like, why would when would somebody use it? So the reason that they want a care driver is if you're transporting someone who has a little bit of an extra special need, and that would be you know a child under the age of eighteen, which actually it's not in the business model of Uber or Lyft to drive those children. And in fact, if your child has an Uber app on their phone and they're under 18, they had to check a box saying that they were 18, which is quite frankly fraud. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You, uh, so they're not insured for, you know, to carry children and the drivers aren't allowed to. Um, so this will allow people to send their children to, hey, you know, I've got three kids going, one's going to soccer practice and one's going to hockey practice. How do I get them to these places? This is a perfect solution for that. Um, it's also for the elderly, somebody maybe who needs to be walked into a doctor's appointment or have someone stay with them. Yeah. So that can be done. It can be done on a, on a build basis rather than a per minute basis. Um, and then uh, what's really interesting is she has uh, an enterprise uh, level business as well where she services school districts to help with uh, transporting at-risk and foster children to, to their schools. That is cool. Yeah. It's cool to be part of a business that's making an impact. Yeah, it really is. And you know, what's interesting too is, um, I think I mentioned that the fastest growing demographic for people returning to the workforce uh, is women over 55. Yeah. So this gives women a, a quick way to make some money right away. Um, one of the things I love about jo Joanna's model is that you have to be a driver, you have to have five years of caregiving experience. And being a mom for five years counts. Isn't that great? <laughs> that should like triple count. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> like those so. first three years of experience. Oh. But it's great. So you know, if you stayed home for a little bit of, you know, there's it's a it's a disappointment that all those skill sets are discounted quite often. How about and, uh, what do you and think? Joanna's not. She's recognizing them. This is kind of maybe a, it's on a related topic, yeah. but you know, our our three year old are gonna you know soon put into you know, public school. Yeah. And it made us think like, wait a second, school gets out at three o'clock. Right, right. Who the hell's home? And, right. and it's like, my, my wife works, I right. work. Okay, well, who's gonna take off? Do we have right. to get somebody to go pick her up? Does she do aftercare? Right. Um, it's really interesting that we're starting to think about this now. Like, sure. is our current society structured for the world where both parents work? Exactly right. And so this is, I look at this as a great added benefit to uh, to women that are working because they need to organize their children and their aging parents to get places. You know, uh, a woman who's working maybe can't leave at three o'clock to go pick up her child from school or to take her mother to a doctor's appointment. So this is a really nice resource. How do we get more, um, maybe on female founders, and I, I don't have any data on this, but yeah. is there a female founder uh, problem to tackle or is it female founders who get backing or is it a, a different and is it maybe by stage like 
listen, there are tons of female founders, not an issue, but it's really tough to get them funded. I think just globally speaking, it's incredibly competitive out there right now. It's never been easier to start a business and it's never been a time when you could start a business with less capital because everything is cloud-based now, because you don't even need an office. You can walk around with your laptop and a phone and start a business. Yeah. So what we've seen, and through the proliferation of accelerator programs, we've seen a lot of companies grow up. Um, there is no shortage of companies, period. There's certainly no shortage of female-founded companies. Um, what the big problem is, is there's a shortage of, of capital to grow those companies. And with 98% of capital still going to male-founded companies, that leaves 2%. And it's not just deals, it's also the deal size. So maybe a, a female founder does get uh, investment, but she gets a million dollars instead of $2 million. Are there some resources where people can go to for more data on this, like particular organization, or where are some organizations that you either are a part of or have you know attended conferences? Sure, so McKenzie has done a tremendous amount of research in this space, and uh, then also Mass Challenge and BCG have done yeah. uh, a comparative analysis of the portfolio companies that come through Mass Challenge and found that um, a lot of times that the female founders are much more efficient with their capital and outperform. Um, there's also uh, data, uh, Crunchbase every year puts out a big uh, analysis of all the female founded companies too. What would be your, um, let's maybe switch gears onto sure. the LP side. Yeah. Um, you know, is there the, are we at the stage now where there's the awareness from the LP community and, you know, for example, in the past three years, LPs have said, we have to have a strategy for diversity. You know, minorities, women, mm -hmm. in that in that bucket. You know, rightly so. Everything is driven by metrics, and and it's difficult to really put metrics around this. What are you trying to achieve, and how are you trying to achieve that goal? And and uh, I think first and foremost, and rightly so, with institutional investors, their number one priority is return on capital, and so they are not trying to achieve parity in funding. Um, that's not their mandate. So uh, one of the things that our firm has decided to do is that we do not have a mandate to exclusively invest in female founders. And other people see things differently, but it's our position that in order to be effective around a certain investment thesis, you have to look at all the portfolio companies in that space. And we just consider it one of the boxes that we check when we have metrics for investment. One of the things we look at is, is the team diverse? Do we have diversity? Because we like diverse teams, we like diversity of thought. Um, we think it leads to a better outcome and a better financial return. Uh, but we want to be able, we've developed a thesis around transportation and we find that the very best company in this space um, is has a, a male CEO, which we did, Name Mobility, which does have a co-founder who's a woman. Um, we, we would not withhold our investment because of that. And um, I think that backing female fund managers uh, will help because we have a different eye, because we recognize different problems. Um, we're looking at companies in the menopause space right now. It's a tremendous opportunity. Um, that may be something that, uh, you know, not going to put in any judgment, but maybe some of the male VCs don't quite understand yeah. as well. I've never heard of silver tech, and now I'm super interested. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the largest market opportunity there is right now. So that's one of the things we're that 83% of the wealth in this country is held by people over 50. They're the people to sell to. And they have money in a recession too. They sure do. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, rewinding, what are some risks that you've taken that didn't work out? And then also maybe how that shaped you in just life, career, and you know, how did you get through those? Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I don't want to be cute, but I don't feel like any risk I've ever taken didn't work out. I know that's not the answer you're looking for. But um, really, when one door closes, another door opens. And back to when I was saying your career is sort of a spiral staircase that may not be going in the same direction, and you may feel like you've headed off in one direction and it's a complete dead end, you're learning lessons from that. And guess what? You're not going to repeat them again. And maybe you had to go down that path to learn that lesson, to be a stronger and more effective you know, manager or builder of a firm or, or whatever it is that you'd like to do. So Yeah, it's... um. You know, that kind of makes me think about the past three years and just this entrepreneurial path. Right. And just, you know, having a time to reflect on that recently. And then, you know, I think developing the tool to put into the emotional toolkit right. of uh, understanding that, you know, this time, which might really suck, right. you're going to get through it. Yeah. You might not see how you're going to get through it's it. It's really true. You might not know when you're going to get through it. Yeah. But just having that mentality that if you keep on pushing, like, you're gonna find a way. Yeah, and you, yeah, it's absolutely true. And um, I mean, I guess maybe we could say it was taking a risk to leave my job as a partner in a in a major billion dollar firm and to raise my children, and it was a huge risk. What was going and, through your um, through you know your family's mind um, as you were kind of making that decision? Well, I mean, you're at a big firm. Yep. Partner. Yep. People are looking at this path and like. You're gonna have a great life, right. you say on this, path. right? Right. And then you say, second kid. Yep. I'm gonna do something very different. I think one of the biggest things is that on 9/11, I was supposed to speak at a venture capital breakfast at Windows in the World, and I they called twice. I, I I they asked me to do it. I said, you know, I don't think so. They called back again a week before and said, Tracy, we really need you to do this. We need a woman on the panel. Can you please do this for us? And um, I was about seven months or eight months pregnant with my first son. And it was a really hot summer. And I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that one of the reasons I didn't want to go down was that I was too hot. <laughs> it was really hot. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And then here, I mean, it was at 830 in the morning. I would, I would my son and I would have been lost. And um, I think that that sort of readjusted my priorities. And what I found was was really valuable to me at the time. And so then, uh, with the with the second son, we decided that the best thing to do would be to to move to the suburbs. And my husband and I looked at each other and we said, we can't have our children in another state, <laughs> you know, while we're while we're working. And uh, and so I made the choice to to be the person that would stay at home. And I was miserable from the second I decided to do it. I, I, I wouldn't take back that time because it was really important for my children's development and, and it was a choice that I made, but I was really, really unhappy. And um, so then when I was able to find the ability to invest myself, that was just a godsend. It was a life up. I tried everything else in the interim, you know, running the fundraisers for the school and, and uh, you know, gut renovating a house, but um, nothing, nothing really did it for me. This is my true passion and where I belong. What was your daily cadence like, you know, when you were at home, but you're also actively investing? Is it 
you have your morning rush, everyone's up at 6.30, yeah. kids are out at 7, 7.30, and yeah. then from 9 till whenever the kids come home. Yeah, I put them on the bus at 7.15, and it was really back to transportation. Thank God I had school bus right around the corner. So I could put my boys on the bus in the morning, they would go to school, and then they would get dropped off at 4.30 in the afternoon, and they could walk from the bus to home. And so, you know, if occasionally I had a few meetings that would run over and I wouldn't be home till 5.30 or 6 or so, um, the boys were there and they were fine. And, uh, and it was uh, great to be able to, to pack things into those, I think, you know, I had like seven or eight hours during the day that I could do something for myself. But it really, it had to take to the point where I could get them when they were off on the bus. I think as babies, I think it would be too tough. On a related topic, <laughs> how can I be a better husband? Oh, wow. Just the fact that you even asked that is amazing. We, so my wife and I have, like, have an annual review. It's almost like a 10K. Not 10K. Uh, we have an annual review. <laughs> And it's funny how much like my list of things is a yeah. lot longer usually yeah. <laughs> uh, to improve. Uh, but like, how can um, you know you went through that stage with your family being right. partner level, and um, you know having been how old are your kids? Are your kids over ten now? Or? Yes, my children are sixteen and eighteen. So you know having you know my 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 first child, she's three years old, we're expecting a boy in December. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for the past three years, it's just kind of been the startup mentality. Yeah. And I don't feel like I've, well, I know that I have not been there right. as much as I should have. I right. know that I have not been able to contribute, you know, physically, emotionally in the presence of the house. My wife has been the one who's been holding us up for three years and like at the family and financially. Um, so I kind of felt like I've been a crappy husband and father, um, and just you know just being focused on the businesses. Right. Um, so I'm like you know with number two coming in December, I want to know like from your perspective, having been on the other side of that, right. you know what are some ways that you think I could be a better husband? It it just to me, I mean, just the fact that you asked that question is fantastic and just shows that you probably are already a really great husband. But um, I think it's just sort of universal advice for everyone, and this is so simple. Look people in the eyes. Look people, look your wife in the eyes, look your children in the eyes. If you're speaking to them and you're upstairs and they're downstairs and you're yelling at them, I just think that human connection is so important. And if we can just look each other in the eyes and share presence for a few minutes, that's better than just about anything else you can do. Yeah. That's really good. Because <laughs> you're so, like, And you it's know, easy you to might... do. It doesn't cost a dime. Because if you're talking to yeah. her and you look her in the eyes, you'll sense things that maybe you wouldn't have if you were distracted looking at your emails while you're talking. Word of the wise. <laughs> yeah, this is free, too. Um, <laughs> um, broadly speaking, what are some things that we have not covered that you, that you want to? Um, I think that, that the biggest thing that is really important, that has really been a, a governor for my life and I think is important for a lot of women to remember is that um, you have to get rid of fear. Fear is a bad boyfriend, you have to kick him to the, kick him to the curb. You know, it's, uh, it has no place in anyone's life or career. And uh, I think we have all this cortisol and all this rush and all this fear of things that is innate in us as human beings from when we had to run from being chased by, by an animal that was gonna kill us. Um, nobody's chasing us anymore. And um, it, uh, you just have to, to get over 
fear of going to ask for something or a fear of starting something. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you should throw caution to the wind and you know, you're you're a hundred thousand dollars in debt, and instead of taking a job to build some capital, you go and start, you know, um, joining a circus or something like that. I think that um, what I'm talking about is not having any fear of making plans and not having any fear of asking people to help you, because I think eighty percent of people really do want to help yeah. you, right? Absolutely, and and we we sometimes worry. I, I have founders that have come to me and say, you know, Tracy, I didn't want to bug you. I'll say, what's well, my job to review investment opportunities? You're not bugging me at all. You know, you're contributing to my knowledge base.